Overcoming Life. We started a new series last Sunday, a series called Overcoming Life, which is a, a series in, in the midst of a series. We're in the midst of this transformation pathway, a year-long look at what it means to be conformed to the image of Jesus, which God says is his goal for us, right? You, you couldn't have set me up any better for the message, Dave. Thank you. Um, change is good. We don't want to stay stuck. I don't want to be my old self. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that the old is gone and the new has come. And so I have to embrace that and say, Lord, I want to live as this new creation. This person that you've called me to be, I don't want to be that old person. And it's a daily process. It's a journey. So we've been talking about this transformation journey that God has us on. And so we're in the midst of this series now, The Overcoming Life. Talked about last week, um, our identity. That an overcoming life begins with identity. That we have to know who we are in Christ. A person who doesn't know, a believer rather, who doesn't know who they are in Christ will have a difficult walk with Jesus. Every day will be a, they'll just fight and fight and fight because there will be things of this world and things in their own lives that will pull and tug at the very fabric of who they are and create confusion. Maybe you've experienced this. I've experienced it in my life. In days I, I wake up and I wonder, oh, does God even love me? Am I even saved? Right? If I died today, would I go to heaven? You know, there's, there's a, a, an evangelistic strategy that, that just basically people were going up to, to each other and it was like, are you 100% sure? And it was, it was, a, but, but that, it was that, oh, I don't, I don't know, I don't know. Well, I've been a believer since I was five, but there's still the days that I would wake up and go, I don't feel it today. I don't feel it. So I have to know what my identity is so that I don't struggle with those things walking in the fear of god rather than in the fear of man and this world when we walk in the fear of the world we're going to get distracted when i walk in the fear of god as james talks about i'm aware of his spirit and so i don't forget about who i am i don't i don't look in the mirror and then walk away and go oh wait oh yes i'm a christian and it takes it to a deeper level level for us our identity is not i I mentioned what you do what you have or what others think you are. Our identity is solidly wrapped up in who Jesus is and the promises that he has for our lives. Well, this morning I want to speak to you about embracing victory. Embracing victory. The next step in this process of overcoming. Standing strong in the midst of trials. Now, I could have just titled the message Standing Strong in the Midst of Trials. But the reality is, is, is that when we stand strong, we embrace the victory that Jesus has. And it just sounds better, right? Embracing victory, it's, it's not the emphasis is on the win, not on the negative. Oh, you, you're going to make... No, you, you need to embrace the victory that you have in Christ. The reality is we all experience difficult times. Every single one of us. We're not immune to it. We can't get around it. Uh, we can't predict when things will happen in our lives that will set us off balance. It will, will push us to and fro. The word mayhem is a great word, right? It conjures up a picture of just things just going crazy. Every one of us at some point in our lives experiences mayhem in one way or another. Mayhem could happen like this. 
getting let no, getting told or, or being being told that you're losing your job. It would be this discovering that someone doesn't like you, which you think would end like in elementary school and middle school, but it affects us our whole lives, right? Can I get an honest answer this morning? No, finding out that someone doesn't like you even as adults, it affects you. Oh, you're a bunch of liars. <laughs> I'm calling you out this morning. It affects us. We, we want it. Now, some people more to a greater degree, but we want people to like us, and it can, be, it can create havoc in our lives if we, if we feel like people don't like us. A crisis in your life that drains your savings account, or even worse, drives you into a place of debt. Finding out that your kids are struggling or being bullied, losing your home, Losing respect for someone you admired, someone you had put, put in a place of respect in your life, and then they come crashing down. That can, they can affect you. That can, it can introduce mayhem. Getting a negative health report from the doctor. Mayhem. On the inside, what that does, what that does to a family, so difficult. Feeling betrayed by someone close to you. Or the death of a loved one. The truth is, we can't avoid these things. We can try, people try all the time, can work really hard at stopping from things and insulating their lives, but the, the truth is we can't stop it from happening. There, there is this truth. If we follow God's word, we can prevent unnecessary trials, unnecessary mayhem. There's, there's mayhem that comes in. It's really more self-induced than it is outwardly. And so we make sure we're in step with God's word. And as followers of Christ, who is the victor, he has won the victory for us, right? We walk uh, in, his, in fear of who he is because we know that he's with us. But we know that it's, it's the truth for each of us as long as we're on this planet, walking in this skin, that any day that things can happen that can throw us into a flat spin. The good news is... I. Wouldn't want to end the sermon right there. You'd be like, great, thanks for that. Um, let's go to lunch. We have victory. See, we're not, we're not defined by our trials. We're shaped by our trials. We have the victory in Christ. He secured it for us, and, it, and it's a sure thing. Romans chapter 8. I'm going to actually be, um, my family informed me that when I'm, I'm reading, I've been preaching too fast. I get so excited that I start talking fast. They're like, slow down. And uh, so I'm, I'm intentionally reading a little slower. But I want to give you a heads up. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, Acts chapter 1 and 2, and then James chapter 1 towards the end of the message. So I have some other, message, uh, some other verses in there that I'll jump around to, but those are the three main passages for those of you who want to uh, look those up. But Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to start out this morning. And I'm going to read a, a pretty big uh, chunk of scripture here as we dive in. Let's do this. Father God, invite your presence to just shape us, refine us, transform us this morning. Lord, even today, Lord, even today, there's a possibility that people have walked into this place and there's mayhem in their lives. And God, I pray in the midst of this message, people hearing your word, God, that you would set their hearts at ease. Lord, that you would remind us this morning that we have the victory in Jesus, that we are the head, not the tail, that we are above, not below. 
Center our hearts right now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 39. And we know, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I'm going to stop for a second. I might do this a couple of times. This verse can be the single most encouraging and discouraging verse. What do I mean? Well, I can read it during good times and go, yes. But you ever been in a place where you're in the midst of a battle or a struggle or things are just not going well, and you get some smiley Christian in your face going, well, you know, the Bible says all things work together, and you, right? Okay, maybe you're all way more holy and righteous than me. It, it can just twerk you a little bit and just get you, oh, I don't want to hear that right now. Wipe that smile off of your face. I love, though, that our bad attitudes doesn't affect the truth of Scripture, right? All right. We know this. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to do what? To be conformed to the image or the likeness of his Son, so that he might be, uh, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. All right, we're going to do something interactive. We're going to stop again. Say, I am called. Okay, now say it like you mean it. I am called. I am justified. I am glorified. All right, this is truth out of God's word about who you are, okay? All right, let's keep going. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? That's cool. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I think he covered about everything there, right? right? It covers about everything I can think of in my mind. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Come on. That is awesome. And I could end there, but I'm not going to. We're going to keep pushing ahead a little bit more. I love this. Paul, this, Romans chapter 8 is just phenomenal. I mentioned last week. Spend some time in Romans chapter 8. It'll fire you up. What can separate us? Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing that is going to separate us from the love of God. All of these things. We are more than conquerors. We are called to a life of victory. We're called to overcome, the overcoming life. That's why this sermon series is titled what it is, because we are more than conquerors. And you think about the language there. You're not just a conqueror, right? I think I'm a conqueror. That's pretty cool. I have conquered something. No, I'm more 
than a conqueror. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds pretty awesome. I want to be more than a conqueror. There is nothing, there is nothing that can stand against us. No accusation that can be brought that can hold any water. Why? Because of what Jesus has done for us. Church, we are victorious. We are victorious. And mentioned that today is Pentecost Sunday. And it's amazing how I... I yes. Yes. That is, wow. We didn't even plan that. <laughs> Pentecost Sunday. Um, I, didn't, I didn't plan our, the sermon series to enter, enter uh, sec this Sunday, but it did. And I'm so glad because it is absolutely appropriate that this subject, what we're talking about today, falls on the day where we recognize and remember that the Holy Spirit was given to us in power. Pentecost, the word means 50, in case you were wondering. Pentecost just simply means 50. Pentecost happened seven weeks after the Passover. It was historical, uh, a historical Jewish feast. There were three main feasts that the Jews celebrated. The first was the Passover. The second was the, the Feast of the fir- First Fruits that became the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, and then there's the Feast of Tabernacles that happens about four months later. These were the three main celebrations for the Jewish people. Seven weeks after Passover, in fact, it was seven weeks and one day. Fifty days after Passover, they celebrated this feast, this Pentecost. Um, and that's why. Pentecost, 50, you getting it there? All right, so Jesus dies at, 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 at Passover. Forty days later, he ascends to heaven. And in ten days after that, the disciples are in the upper room waiting on, on, on the Holy Spirit as Jesus instructed. And we'll read about that in a second. Everything changes in this moment. This is a, this is a critical point, a turning point for, in, in history, especially in church history. Because it's at this point that this group of people that Jesus has been investing his life into, that they get it. That everything that Jesus has invested and taught them just clicks. And not only does it click, there's a fire that's lit in them that they leave that place and awesome things happen. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 8. We're going to jump over to Acts. On one occasion while he was eating with them, this being Jesus, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, at this time are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They're still thinking flesh. They're still thinking the here and now. They're not thinking kingdom, right? They, that's their default setting. Change is hard for people. Uh, I've always thought this way. So even though you're telling me something different, I just keep going back to what I know. Anyone suffer from that, I, right? Wow, you guys. Thank you. Who raised their hand? Because thank you for that, Carol. I appreciate that. All right. I'm sorry. I'm just preaching to myself this morning. And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. You will receive what? You will receive what? Power. 
Which means before Pentecost, they didn't have the power. I just, everything inside of me wants to go, you got the power. They didn't have the power. And as a result, Peter kept making mistakes. And Thomas, right, was still doubting. And the way that they were was still defining who they were. Because even though Jesus said, listen, I'm going to die, I'm going to be raised again, I'm going to ascend, he told them plainly. And then he dies, and they freak out. And then he comes back, and they freak out even more. And then they kind of calm down, and he's like, no, I've got to leave. So, and, and they freak out again. I imagine the 10 days after Jesus left, ascended to heaven, day one, they were probably pumped up, pray, pumped up. Day two, probably still kind of rocking around. I'm, I'm imagining by day seven or eight, they're wondering, okay, how long did he say? I wonder if this is really going to happen. Now, it doesn't say that in Scripture. Of course, I'm reading that in. But here's what I know of the disciples. They were people. They were people. They were flawed people. They were not perfect people. They were not seminary graduates. They were not scholars. They were fishermen and carpenters. Uh, they were, there were people. You will receive power. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled all of them did. And the Spirit of God showed up in that day. And as you continue to read, we don't have time to do it this morning. Go this week. It'd be appropriate for you this week to read uh, those first few chapters of Acts especially and read about what happened in that church. Here's what happens. A group of this ragtag group of disciples who'd been following Jesus, he'd called them from all different walks of life disillusioned, discouraged. I'm not the right person for the job. G- Peter, here's Peter, just, just a few weeks away from having denied Jesus three times, right? Filled with the Holy Spirit, steps out and preaches a sermon in which 3,000 people give their lives to the Lord. Wow. And something starts on that day that spreads across Israel, it spreads around the world, and again, it gets us to where we are today. A direct result of the power that came to those disciples, we are here today. Amen? That's huge. History is important. It was an amazing day, one of the most important days in history. But, but listen, church, it came on the heels of a time of incredible suffering, not just for Jesus, but for his disciples. They were doubting. They were wondering. Remember the, the, the road to Emmaus? The two disciples are walking. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And Jesus comes up and they don't know that he's... And they're just going, oh. Their heads are, are down and they're distraught. And they're like, what are we going to do? He's gone. And Jesus walks up and he says, what is this conversation you're having? Doesn't sound like kingdom talk to me. And then he ends up going in with them and he breaks bread and their, bread and their eyes are open and they realize... This is Jesus. And then he stays with them for a while longer before he ascends into heaven and he ministers. And again, he tells them, listen, I've got a job for you to do. Now, you're not going to do it on your own. You're not going to just do it in your own strength. You're going to receive power. 
But there was a season of struggle and trial in the midst of that. The Lord, your Savior, the one that your master, that you, your teacher, the one that you followed for three years, you just watched watch him get brutally beaten and savagely hung on a cross, die one of the most painful deaths that you, that you can possibly die. And they're still defaulting to, okay, but are you going to deliver us from the hands of the Romans? Stuck, 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 stuck. Why? Because they weren't walking in victory yet. You see that? They weren't walking in victory. Now the Holy Spirit comes and empowers them and, 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 and something clicks. They're already facing the right direction, but then something clicks. The power comes in and they start running. And now from here on out, listen church, from here on out through the rest of the New Testament, you don't hear about them falling away. You hear about them standing boldly for their faith. All, almost all of them to the point that they were martyred, that they gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. That's not the same people. When Paul says in 2 Corinthians, right, you're, you're a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come, the new allows us to do things that the old could never have done. If, if Jesus had said to Peter, listen, Peter, here's exactly, and lay, just laid it out like in a timeline. At this point, you're going to get up and preach and 3,000 people will give their lives to me. I imagine that Peter would have laughed out loud. LOL, right? Yeah, you were thinking, I might as well go there. He would just laugh and say, there's no way. There's no, maybe Luke or John. John's the, he's the passionate one. Uh, he, you know, they, they're better. But think about all the way back to Moses. No, 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 no. You got the wrong person. And God's like, no, I got exactly who I'm looking for. So start walking in the victory that I've secured for you. Stop living defeated and start living victorious. In the midst of suffering, we have to run to Jesus. We have to lay hold. We have to embrace the victory that he has secured for us. In John chapter 16, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples. goes like this, starting in verse 31. Then, Je- the, then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you, uh, that you do not even need to ask anyone, uh, have anyone ask you questions. All right, let me stop for a second. Now we can see that you know all things. And that you do not even need to have anyone ask you any questions. He already knew the answer, right? This makes us believe that you came from God. This is after they've been with him for a while. They're just, things are starting to fall into place. Jesus, I love his answer. You believe at last, Jesus answered. Can you hear the relief? I I hear the sound of a, a dad teaching his kid to ride a bike. Or someone trying to teach their kid to do math. Right? Or a wife teaching her husband to boil water. Something like that, right? You got it! Yes! You believe at last, Jesus answered. But a time is coming and it has come when you will be scattered. That's not good. The picture here is the sheep being scattered. The shepherd is removed and the sheep are struck and they go every which way. This is not a good picture. Each to his own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Listen to this, church. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. 
I tell you what, this is not the kind of verse that you just want to preach about all the time in your church. Hey, listen, church, love Jesus and life's going to be tough. But that's what the Bible says. This is what Jesus himself says. In this world, you will, not you might, not come to Jesus and everything's just going to be smooth sailing from there on out. Right? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I'm bigger than the world. I won. We have the victory. And so we know the end of the story. How can I live an overcoming life? Because Jesus overcame the world for me. And so I just need to embrace the victory that he's already secured. Right? It's not that hard. And yet, it's hard. Am I right? Time is coming and has come when you will be scattered. In the immediate future for them, it was Jesus going to the cross and the disciples from the Garden of Gethsemane, each, they scattered. They literally scattered. They didn't stay with him. But then there's a bigger picture. See, what happens in Jerusalem, the early church starts and then persecution happens. And I'll get emotional over this. Persecution happens in Jerusalem. And the believers, are, are there, there are those that come against Paul, right? Saul at that time comes against and starts killing Christians. And what happens is, is that as the, as the enemy is trying to stomp out the flames of what's happening, the embers shoot all over the world and more fires start. That's huge. And so the scattering that happens at first is one where they're running in fear. The next one is when they're taking the gospel to the world. I love that. I love how Scripture ties those things together. Jesus knew, over, you will, in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Church, that's for us. So let me ask you a question. Why trials? Why are trials even necessary? Why do we have to walk through these things? These places in our lives where there's difficulty, there's things that we face and that, we, that are challenges to us. Why? Why does God allow it? And, and we hear that, especially in the church in the West. Why would a loving God let something like that happen? Why would a loving God hurt people? Can I just tell you, God doesn't hurt people. We live in a broken world. Jesus said it, in this world you will have trouble. And Jesus himself was not immune from it. He himself bears still to this day, sitting at the right hand of the Father, still has the scars. And so even Jesus himself, we can relate to him because he suffered. Hebrews tells us that. Trials are a way of testing. See, in the military, when they build a new ship, they do what's called sea trials. And before they send that ship into battle, they first send that, out, that ship out into friendly waters and they put it through its paces and they test every system over and over and over, and they, 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 they use it to its maximum. It's not, nothing easy. They do this off of the coast of California, down in San Diego. They do these sea trials. Why? So that when they go into battle, they know that the ship is ready. They don't just build a ship and then send it out and go, well, I hope it works. They test and test and retest, and then they test it again, and they make improvements along the way. Why? So that it is battle-ready. So it's ready to defeat the enemy. Testing does something in us. We're not ships, right? We're people. But God tests us for the same reason. Proverbs 17 verse 3 says this, The crucible 
for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. The Lord tests your heart. Listen, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, neither of those are fun experiences for the silver and the gold. Not that they have feelings, but you know what I mean. Heat, extreme heat, being melted down. In fact, I have this picture of a blacksmith forging a sword. And before this piece of metal can become a sword, it has to go through a process of incredible pain. It has to get superheated and then supercooled and then superheated. And then while it's heated, the blacksmith's taking this hammer and he's just beating it. Beating, beating, beating. Pops it in the water. Pops it back in the fire. And through this process, the molecules in that metal start rearranging themselves. And the shape of the sword, it starts taking shape. And every time the metal is heated and then cooled and then heated and cooled, it gets stronger and it gets harder. It becomes tempered. And he'll do this. And the more that the blacksmith does this to the metal, the better the weapon is. Over and over and over and over and over again that the sword goes through this process. The crucible, the heat, removes impurities from the metal. In gold and silver, they put the precious metal in a crucible and it will melt it down. And all of the dross, all of the, the, the junk will float to the top. Many of you probably wearing a ring and it will say 18 carat or 24 carat. That gold the value of that gold or the purity of that gold is determined by how many times it goes through the fire. And the purer the gold, the higher the number, right? And so when God says the crucible for, the, uh, for silver, the furnace for the gold, but the Lord tests the hearts, what, he, what is he saying? I'm going to allow you to walk through stuff that will remove the impurities from your life. And that doesn't happen living the easy life. Amen? It just doesn't. You might not want to say amen, but you kind of have to, right? We wish it did. Smooth sailing with Jesus. No. That he tests. Now, this is, a, this is something he's doing. This isn't even counting the external things. 1 Peter 4, verse 12 says this. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though some, something strange were happening to you. I love the sarcasm. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Listen, something's happening to the recipients of this letter that's painful. They're suffering. And I love Peter's words. Right? Don't be surprised when stuff is difficult, when life is hard, when suffering comes, especially for the sake of the gospel. Don't be surprised as if something strange, like, whoa, what's going on? We shouldn't be surprised by that. And maybe you've not heard that before, maybe you've not read that before. It doesn't sound like what I've heard a lot in church growing up. We should expect it. We should know that it's coming. I don't know what form and how it's going to happen, but it's coming. And can I just tell you, it's on. Come on. Give me your best shot. Why? Because I know who I am in Christ, and I, I, I latch on to, I cling to the victory that I have in Him. See, we have to look at trials with the end in mind. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 
James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Anyone in here today want to lack nothing? Right? Like, a, yeah, okay, good. Just, just checking. Just elbow someone next to you. James, these guys are, they're sarcastic. I just love the New Testament. Listen, the early church was not a perfect church. How do I know that? If they were perfect, we wouldn't have the New Testament. Timothy, right? Thessalonians, Colossians, right? These letters are written. James, Peter, why are they written? To bring correction to knuckle-headed people doing things they shouldn't be doing. Or walking through things that they didn't expect would happen. If they were perfect people, we wouldn't have the New Testament. But they weren't perfect people. They struggled just the way that you and I do. There's things that came up into their lives that will show up in our lives. The hurts that they suffered, I tell you what, technology has changed, the setting has changed, but people's hearts, their emotions, still the same. And they were affected by things just as we're affected by things. But here's Peter and James, sarcastic. Right? As though something strange. Well, don't be surprised. James, right? Consider it pure joy. Really, James? Really. Pure, not just joy. Consider it pure joy, the best kind of joy, when you face trials of many kinds. Okay. Why? Because it does something to your faith. It develops perseverance in your life. See, because when you first come to Jesus, you're like a big block of metal. Giant paperweight. But in the hands of the master, he starts molding and forging and he uses every bit of trial and temptation and things that we struggle and wrestle with. Every one of those he uses to shape us, to shape us, to shape us so that at the end of the day, we are tools in his hands, weapons, tools of, of warfare, right? Tools that he can use and say, now go. Because when we go back to Acts chapter 1, Jesus' command is that you will be my, right? You will be my disciples. You will go where? You'll be my witnesses, rather. There's the word I was looking for. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus didn't save them just to, to save them. There's a job for us to do. And Jesus, by the same Holy Spirit, is saying to us, listen, the trials in your life, they're there for a reason. Mayhem comes. And that God will walk us through those seasons. It's not his desire for us to suffer, but he will redeem suffering in our lives for his glory. And when we change our thinking and stop thinking, poor me, poor me, Where is God in the midst of this? And start declaring, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the head, not the tail. That I have overcome and I have the victory because of the work of Jesus Christ. When we declare that in our lives, it changes our focus, it changes our trajectory, and it causes our sufferings to be an instrument of shaping and molding in our lives. And so we have to embrace victory in order to make it through the trials. We have to say yes to what Jesus has done for us 
to stand strong and stand firm. Why? Because at the end of the day, the result is this, that we lack nothing. Going back to Romans chapter 8, that we be conformed to his likeness, to his image. Did Jesus lack anything? No. That's God's desire for you. That you would lack nothing. That you would stand strong. So let me ask you, what trials are you facing? What's going on in your life right now that if you could, you would say, Lord, just get that out. I don't want to, I'm done. What are the things that you're up against? Maybe a better question is this, how is God refining you? How is God refining you? Because then I stop looking at my trials like trials and I go, okay, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to grow. Thank you for the opportunity to grow. How are you responding? How are you responding to his refining work in your life? See, trials will test your faith. They'll test your commitment. They'll test your character. They'll test your leadership ability. And maybe you write, when I said that, you're like, I'm not a leader. Um, Yes, you are. Every one of us is leading someone. And trials will test everything, every one of those areas. Honestly, there's tests that I have failed miserably. I could name them, right? Isn't it amazing how we can remember those things? Oh, yeah. It's like the most embarrassing moment. Oh, yeah. I know I can name 10 of those. They're there. But remember, God is pleased with you. And he's committed to you. He's committed to your transformation. He's committed to your transformation more than you are. Which means in the midst of the trials, you can stand confidently going, I know who I am in Christ. I know that I have the victory. God, bring it on. Do what you need to do in my life. And here's the other blessing. Look around this room. We have each other. We have each other. This is why life groups. Life groups are so important because we get to do life. Life groups gets to be the place where we get to actually say, here's where where God is working in my life. Here are the things that I'm facing. You go to a life group this week, which I encourage you to do, you'll hear those questions. What trials are you facing? How is God refining you and how are you responding? And give you a place to actually talk about it. Build your faith. We stand together this morning. We don't want to talk about suffering. It's not, it's not a fun subject, but when we have the right lens, oh man, okay, Lord, help me, help me to embrace it because I want to become the man you, you've called me to be. I want to be the woman that you've called me to be. I want to look more like Jesus tomorrow than I did today. And then for every one of us that would commit ourselves to that journey, it's not an if. Why? Because God gives us everything we need to succeed and to win. He secured the victory. But what he's calling us to do is to step it up in our own lives and go, okay, Lord, I'm going to be more committed tomorrow because I know I just walked through a test today that tested my commitment and I didn't do very well. Lord, I want to have greater faith tomorrow. Why? Because I just walked through a test today that tested my faith and I didn't come through it so well. 
And it's like that ship coming back into the harbor and the engineers go, okay, what do we need to fix? And so they tweak it. And, and here's the great thing about our government. They spare no expense, right? And it's a good thing because they want our soldiers to have the very best when they go into the battlefield. God is even bigger than that. He's saying, I want to give you the very best so that you can succeed. So when you come back to him at the end of the day and go, God, I didn't handle that well, that I failed that test, he goes, it's okay, let's make the changes that we need. And so we come with a heart of repentance, a heart that's soft and malleable, and he says, I can work with that. And tomorrow ends up being a better day than, today, than yesterday. And so on and so on. And we become more effective. We become better husbands, better fathers, better wives, better moms, better friends, better kids, better employees. Why? Because we're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that you're committed to this process in our lives. Lord, that you've given us your word to map it out. Lord, you don't even leave us to our own device and say, hey, just kind of figure it out along the way. You map it out so clearly for us because you are for us, not against us. God, I thank you this morning that there is nothing in all of creation that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. But Lord, I pray for those this morning that might be feeling far from your love. God, I pray that you would just bring your love to bear in their lives right now. God, cause us to be a people, Lord, who always have in our focus, in our periphery, Lord, a picture of victory. Jesus at the right hand of the Father, a victory secured for each one of us. And that we would live with that in mind every day. In Jesus' name, amen.